0: I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're focusing on those central verses there, uh, 28 to 30. I'll just read those again because that's where we'll spend pretty much all of our time for this uh, sermon. Come to me, says Jesus, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, it's great to be here um, preaching God's word to you this morning. And it's quite a daunting task, because as we know, Kruger, our minister, is away and we've um, paused our series in um, 1 Peter. And so, Carl, uh, Pete, myself, Chris, we are basically just uh, given free reign to preach on whatever we would like to preach. And the Bible is a big book. There are many things that you could preach on. Um, and so it was quite daunting thinking, gosh, what do I think I need? What do I think the church needs in this current time? So. This week I was sitting down and I was writing down in my notebook a few ideas and I had quite a lot actually. I thought, well maybe this would be quite helpful, maybe this would be quite helpful, maybe this would be quite helpful. And then, after about eight to ten or so ideas, I thought, ooh, maybe this verse would be helpful. I wrote it down and I was pretty sure, pretty quickly, that I wanted to preach on this passage. Why? Well, there's something deeply attractive, deeply beautiful and compelling about Jesus' invitation here. It's one of my favourite Bible verses. I think. We see in this passage um, four things that I'm going to go through throughout the sermon. And the first two are things which really resonate with us as humans, which really strike a chord uh, and chime deep in our hearts. The first is how Jesus invites those who labour and are heavy laden. Jesus describes the state of certain people. They labour, they are heavy laden. And the second is he promises something deeply compelling. Our deep desire is that we do crave this rest. We crave a rest, but it's hard to find. It's elusive. Two things that deeply resonate with us. We labour and are heavy laden, and we crave rest, but it's hard to find. And then I think there's a bit of a surprise um, in this passage. And the surprise is what Jesus says is the cause of our condition, and the cure. The surprising cause is is to do with this word yoke, and we'll think about that a bit later on. And the cure is to take on Jesus' yoke, because he truly is gentle and humble in heart. So that's the passage, that's what we're going to go through um, today in those few verses. Let's just start by thinking about that first little description there. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden. We labour. We labour. Now this word labour is used only one other time in all the four Gospels. And it's in Luke chapter 5, a story that you might know well. It's when Jesus is interacting with the fishermen who are to become his disciples. And they have been up all night. They are probably very cold, wet, and tired. I was up quite late preparing the sermon, so I feel some of those things, but I was, you know, in a, in a, in a house with windows and uh, it was very dry. But these fishermen have been literally working away this rough physical work, hauling nets in all night long. But they say to Jesus the same work. We labour, except it's translated differently. We have toiled, we have toiled all night. Jesus, we've not caught anything. We've not caught anything. So there's a sense of this word labour that it's describing not just work, but a particularly empty, futile, fruitless, difficult, slightly depressing work as well. That feeling of working through the night and having nothing to show for it. And that's not just fishermen in Jesus' time. That's us in uh, all sorts of stages in life. Housework. You wash the clothes, you put them in the laundry, you dry them, you wear them. You literally repeat the cycle. You literally repeat the cycle. Um, the dishes, you clean them, you put them in the dishwasher, you sort out that pile, and then they pile up before you even realise it again at the next meal. I think um, in London my favourite illustration is probably scale. If you've ever bothered to wash limescale, goodness me, right? You've got yourself surfaces just sparkling clean for maybe one day, and then the next day it's back to dull, lifeless, and a feeling of futile work, futile work. It's Housework, but also your job as well, you know? Maybe you're working on a big report, you've been working for months, you finish it, you send it off, you have a celebratory drink, you're back in the office for the next report. You're teaching lessons at school. One goes really, really well. The class leaves, you feel great. Another one comes in. Not so good. sense of futility. It's not just our work, though. i have seen fishermen. But it's also just other areas of life, too. Think about your relationships. There's a sense that they're really hard work, but there's often a, a deep frustration and futility there. You might be having the same arguments week after week, month after month, year after year. Sorry I left my socks on the floor again. Sorry I had that difficulty in communicating that we always seem to have. Oh, sorry, this this issue that has been plaguing us for a while has come back again. So it's relationships. And really, it's also just the work that we try to do on ourselves. Um, I used to keep journals and diaries earlier on, and I don't anymore, maybe because it's a bit depressing, because what I found was sometimes I pick them up I'd read my journal from five years ago, or ten years ago, and I'd read the page from, you know, 16th of December, 2012, and I'd think, I could have written this yesterday. This is deeply frustrating. I thought, what? I, was, I thought i just made some revelation that I was struggling with this. Eight years ago, I was battling the same issue. We labor. It feels futile. And that's just the futility for the stuff that we do have, for the jobs we have, the relationships we have, for the housework and the chores that we get to do there's also a futility for the labour for things that we do not have as well that might be our deepest desires financial security a better job marriage, relationships children there's a futility there as we seek these things that just seem so unattainable sometimes there are bright spots but just like it is when you're reading a journal it feels like gravity just pulls you back down labor we labor we labor like those fishermen pulling in the nets again and again and having nothing to show for it that's the first word we labor jesus also says we are heavy laden in a word we are burdened we are heavy laden and i think we feel this particularly right now as well it's 2021 it's just the second week of the year and i think most people feel like we can't wait for this year to be finished we can't wait for it to be over Normally there's a lot of energy about New Year's resolutions and, oh, what I'm going to aim for this year. Big goals, big targets, but I've not really felt that myself. I've not really sensed that from anyone else in my life. There's a deep sense of burden at this time because of the pandemic, because of politics, because of lockdown, because of all the joys and difficulties of working and schooling from home. But even in a non-COVID world, we are heavy laden. We are heavy laden. Friends family members that we are worried about. Issues with our children, problems at work, our health, self-doubt, guilt, anxiety, shame. We are heavy laden. So that's us. What do we want? We long for rest. We long for rest. But a paradox, really, of longing for rest, even though it sounds so good, even though we know we need it, is that it seems so hard to find in this modern world. Sometimes we think if we just have a little break from our work, that's what we really need. That's what we really need. Now, don't shoot me for this, that as a teacher, I am privileged to have very long holidays. But actually, if you speak to teachers, and they're a bit honest with you, and normally it's only teachers who say this to yourselves, because we don't want to get slapped by our friends, but the six-week summer holiday can be difficult. It genuinely can. You just feel a bit lost sometimes. You don't really know what to do with yourself. But it's true for non-teachers as well. I remember talking to someone who uh, had just come back from a holiday and asked him how it was and he said, oh, I feel like I need a holiday just to recover from my holiday. That feeling of coming back and all the things that await you and the difficulties of going away. Or even if you have a great holiday, you're back at work and just literally on Tuesday morning, it's like you're never away. You're straight back into the thick of things. Nice rest while it lasted, but... No lasting impact. I think we've really learned this lesson from furlough. You might remember from the first lockdown, there were all sorts of optimistic newspaper articles about, ooh, how to make the most of your newfound time, how to make the most of being furloughed and working from home. All these people were making their sourdough starters and taking up knitting and having all sorts of fresh activities. Well, we're in lockdown three now, and that optimism, that desire to make the most of the time, uh, it's not there anymore. You don't find his articles uh, very much. Instead, it's, I'm going to be kinder and less demanding on myself this time, this lockdown. We need a break even from the breaks, it seems. Retirement. Maybe that's the thing we long for. Maybe that's what we need. A lot of people are keen to retire early these days. But I was just speaking to a colleague who said his dad found it really hard when he retired. Um, just losing that sense of purpose. You know, looking forward to it for years, for decades. And then waking up and thinking, what am I meant to do with myself? Rest is elusive. We are a deeply restless people. And so when Jesus says here, I will give you rest, it's worth thinking, what does he mean by that word? And if we trace that word throughout the whole Bible, he doesn't just mean, I'll give you an end to all of your work. I'll give you an end to all your labor. That word is used a lot. You might remember we went through the book of Esther and we heard of how Esther, through God's sovereignty and kindness, managed to avert um, a holocaust, a destruction of the Jewish people through her courage and her faith. And after the enemies of God are defeated, the Jews, they they feast and they rest. There's that sense of all their enemies have, have been turned away. They are now safe, they are secure. Now, very few of us, I think, have experience of enemies uh, and being safe from them. Maybe the closest thing for us is um, that feeling you had when you finished your last GCSEs, perhaps, at school. It was the very last one. Maybe it was uh, physics or something like that. And you just see the clock ticking. And then the examiner says, pens down. And you finally think, here I am, the summer holiday has started. All these burdens are gone. All these stresses, all these strains, all these difficulties, they are finished, we can celebrate. That word rest is also used in the book of Job about uh, a man who suffers and loses everything in life. Everything. It's what he longs for. In the midst of all of his suffering, he said, I long for rest. I long for an end to all my suffering. And that word rest is used a lot for the Sabbath, for the day of rest. Not only when people stopped working, but also when they rejoiced together. They feasted. They sang. They shouted out, as Psalm 92 tells us. They celebrated. So modern day equivalent, it's like maybe having a Christmas Day celebration every single Saturday in your life. That is what Jesus is invoking when he uses that word rest. These are the images that he's conjuring up. And that Sabbath takes us back to the first chapter of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1, where we see the Lord's Sabbath, the Lord himself resting. But he's not just stopping from work. He sees all of the creation that he's made. He sees everything in its right place. He sees that it is good and he is content. He is content with his labours. That feeling of everything in its right place. Like when your, your classroom or your desk or your office is just really messy and you spend the two hours just to file everything and then you just sit down and ah, I'm at rest. So Jesus is saying, this is what I've come to offer. That deep itch that we have, I've come to fulfil it. And it is so appealing. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. But it's hard to find. Why? Why is it so hard for us to find? Well, here's where Jesus takes us to a surprising place. He takes us to not a beach, not a holiday resort, not even a um, purposeful uh, hobby centre. He takes us to the farm. He takes us to the farmyard. He talks about, the next line, a yoke. How do we get his rest? With a yoke. Well, The first thing to say is, the reason we're burdened is because we are yoked. We're yoked to the right things. Now let me just explain what a yoke is. Yoke, Y-O-K-E, not an egg yolk, um, but rather something that was used by farmers. Let me just describe it briefly. Just imagine, we're on a farm, we've got a cow here, and we've got a cow here. A yoke was a big, heavy piece of solid wood, shaped like this, that you'd slap onto the necks of the cows and then you bind the neck with another piece of wood that comes in and slots in here, and it slots in here. And then in the middle of the yoke, in between the two cows, you can tie a burden, uh, maybe a trolley, and put heavy things on it that the, that the ox, the cows, can, can take around with them, The cart. Um, they were used so that the cows could basically do the equivalent of what tractors do nowadays. Okay, so that is a yoke. And in the Bible, the yoke is a symbol. It's also a metaphor for various things first metaphor is it's, uh, is it's to do with slavery. In the Exodus we hear of the Israelites being under the yoke of the Egyptians. And it makes sense. When you're yoked, if you're under this big piece of wood, the cows can't do their own thing. They're bound to another cow. They can't just decide what they want to do. They've got someone driving them along. They're laden with a heavy burden. Heavy burden. It's also used as a metaphor for um, teachings and leaders. So in the passage we heard of the Pharisees just after this. And that's deliberate because um, the Bible speaks of the yoke of the Pharisees. The yoke of the Mosaic law was a common idea as well. That also makes sense because if you follow a leader, if you follow these rules, your life is also not your own. You're following someone else. You're submitting to this external authority. And it can be really burdensome. I think it was James who was telling me when he went to Israel um, that modern-day Jews who follow the Sabbath, they are not allowed to press lifts. They can't press the button. So they have invented lifts which, on the Sabbath, stop at every single floor, just on a loop, so that they don't have to work. Um, It's burdensome. It's burdensome to follow those laws. Now, what's this got to do with us? Let's apply it to our own situation. We're not slaves in Egypt. We're not living in Israel following these laws, but when we think deeply and when we stop, we do know that we all live with masters. We follow various leaders or gurus or books or authors or rules that we live by, maybe there are 12 of them, or values that we follow. We live lives that are led, that are compelled by a value system, by someone bigger and greater than ourselves. In the words of Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. Our lives are in the service of a greater master. Sometimes that slavery picture is really obvious. You think of people who are addicted to alcohol or drugs or pornography or other substances. Other times that yoke, that slavery, is a lot subtler. Maybe we are led and compelled by what people think of us. Maybe it's our boss. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's just actually our own self-image of ourself, our pride. Sometimes it's a way of life or a teaching or a voice, maybe the voice of a parent in our head that we constantly hear that's been passed on to us. Sometimes it's a desire that seems to compel us to follow something, to chase something, a desire that we feel will make us happy, a feeling that we need this. I'm reading a good book on um, anxiety at the moment, and there the author speaks of worry rules. These ideas that we have in our heads, that um, when you think about them, you're not sure where they come from, Um, that you feel like if I follow this rule, everything will be all right. For me, often that rule is, have I locked the front door? And I can cause a lot of distress if I I don't have the answer to that question. Underneath, I'm compelled, I'm led, I'm yoked to a desire for certainty, for control, for safety, for security. Now sometimes we recognise that we're under a yoke, and then we try and, re- we try and take it off. But that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why? We just replace that yoke with another one. I was thinking about what you might call the, the middle-class yoke-a-thon, where you start off at school, and you're yoked to your grades. You work really hard to make sure you get the best possible grades so you've got the best possible future. Then you manage to get to university. Great. Now you're a slave to... Am I cool? Do I have the right friends? Am I wearing the right clothes? Am I going to the right parties? Am I having the best fun? Am I doing um, the best things? And also, do I get the best grades as well? And then after uni, you're yoked to career. I've got to establish myself. I've got to get a good job. I've got to be financially secure. Then when the career's in place or close enough, you look for a relationship, someone you can spend your life with, and you spend a lot of time searching for that. Then once the relationship is sorted, okay, now we can find a house. We can find somewhere to live. Then the house is sorted, and you think about children. And then they become a yoke. Okay, everything I'm going to do for my children, I'm going to make sure they've got the best start in life. And then the children leave. And then now your yoke is a midlife crisis. Sports cars. Uh, building your uh, collection of whatever. Maybe uh, an affair. Because the children are gone. The time is limited. Your career actually has proven a bit disappointing, if you're honest with yourself. Um, and your relationship is, is quite difficult, because you've just spent... 20 years um, busy with, with the kids. And then retirement, but we've already heard how that is not necessarily all that we hope it will be. And finally, death. Yoke after yoke after yoke to keep us busy for our whole lives, never asking why. Or is this really it? And it's already feeling pretty heavy as I go through that, but it's important to note that it's because of these yokes that we live by of these yokes that we feel like we labour in futility. That we feel like we are heavy laden. These yokes lead to that problem that Jesus started us with. There's three reasons why that's the case. There's three reasons why they give us these burdens. The first reason. These yokes are are really harsh. They're unforgiving when we fail them. They're really harsh. If we yoked to substances the hangover, the come down is pretty brutal. I was reading um, a Reddit called Crippling Alcoholicism, and it was genuinely very, very depressing just to hear people describing the, the pain of being yoked to alcohol. If we're yoked to control or certainty, it feels a bit more respectable, less obvious. But you can have the slightest doubt, and it spirals, and it grows, and it becomes anxiety, and it becomes possibly even a panic attack. If we yoke to your job performance, one bad day, one foolish decision, one mistake on your report, one bad lesson, things go downhill pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. I don't know if it's just me, but I can remember pretty clearly every time I've been given some uh, negative feedback. And it still hurts. It still hurts. It's a harsh yoke. If you yoke to your status or your self-image... Just one, wrong step, you say the wrong thing in the conversation. Or you slip up and you blurt something out you're not meant to. Or you come across badly to someone else. And you'll be beating yourself up to days. Or you feel happy briefly until someone else says something or does something that you suddenly realise, oh, I'm not as this as them. It's a harsh yoke. If we yoke to a certain relationship, well, we all know how hard it is to forgive other people who've wronged us how easy it is to bear grudges so when we let other people down and we feel that distance that difficulty in our relationship it is a harsh yoke it can take a long time to recover if we're lucky so that's the first reason why yokes make us feel so burdened make life feel so futile the second reason is that's what happens if we fail the yokes but if we actually succeed in pulling the yoke for a period of time the yokes just get more and more demanding. They never stop. They never stop. They're unattainable. If we yoke to substances or material possessions, how much is enough? Rockefeller, one of the richest men in the world, was interviewed about that, and uh, he said, just one dollar more. That's, that's what that's will be enough. Just one dollar more. If we're yoked to our job performance, well, they call it a rat race. They call it a treadmill for a reason. How many promotions till you're satisfied? How many good performance appraisals, how many well-dones will finally cure that itch? No. If we go to status, well, status anxiety, it's exhausting. If we go to relationships, well, can we ever truly deeply know someone so intimately that they do genuinely satisfy that aching loneliness in the pit of our heart? If we go to control or certainty, Well, any worrier knows there's always room to worry about something. There's always room to doubt. There's always room to seek for more certainty or more confirmation. So that's the second reason why these yokes can lead us to be burdened and can lead to life feeling so futile. The third reason is that these different yokes, they're wrapped up in sin. They're wrapped up in sin. Addiction, that's obvious. We damage our bodies. We lie to those we love. We betray those around us. Anxiety, though, more acceptable socially but equally damaging. We're just so self-centred. We just think about ourselves and our worries and we don't have any headspace for other people in our lives. No headspace for God. Status anxiety, if we're worried about keeping up with the Joneses, well, there's envy, covetousness. And if we're lucky enough to be the Joneses, there's pride. There's arrogance. There's looking down on others. If we're yoked to certainty or control, we don't have any faith. We don't feel we need it in God, our creator, our maker. So those yokes, they lead up. They're wrapped up. They lead to sin. And that makes us feel burdened, guilty, ashamed. Finally, it's also worth mentioning that some people claim to have gotten rid of the yokes. They say, no, we're free. We're able to throw off all the yokes of expectations all the demands of society and culture, all the precepts that people um, expect of us, we are truly free. Perhaps the best example of that is the Summer of Love of 1967. People thought of free love, they thought of disregarding the morality of their parents and their ancestors. It was all sex, drugs, rock and roll, goodbye to all the oppressive yokes, ways of life. But it's the 1967 Summer of Love for a reason. It ended pretty quickly. Why? Because those yokes were gotten rid of and they were replaced with drug addictions, sexually transmitted diseases, abused women, and actually collapsed pretty quickly and never came back. We can't escape these yokes. So, it's no surprise, Church, that we we find it so hard to feel restful. Um, It's been pretty heavy so far, but now we're getting to the cure. We're getting to the cure. And it's Jesus' surprising cure, right here. And it's surprising because we see that we're yoked. And what we might expect Jesus to say is to come and say, I'm going to take these burdens off you. I'm going to remove this yoke. I'm going to set you free. And he does say that elsewhere. But here, when he's talking about burdens and heavy la- being heavy laden, he says something very, very strange. He doesn't say, I'm going to take away your yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus wants to add to our burdens, it seems. He wants to give us another yoke. Whoa, hintai! I thought you said yokes were burdensome. They were harsh. They were slavery. They lead to sin. What's Jesus saying here? Take my yoke upon you. Well, go back first to the original yoke, the two oxen. Think about that. A yoke in itself is not a bad thing. When used rightly, a yoke is a great thing. Yokes help the cows. A cow pulling the load by itself would be under a lot more stress. Two cows, they share the burden. The cows make, um, are much more fruitful as a result of the yoke. They do the work more productively. There's less of that sense of futility in their toil and in their labor. And the yoke enables fruits, enables the crops to grow. For us, yes, life is burdensome, but maybe we could do with a yoke to help share the load. Life is fruitless labour, but we want to be productive. We want to be fruitful. The yoke might not be such a bad thing. The problem here is not that we are yoked. It's that we're yoked to the wrong things. And Jesus is saying, I have created you to be yoked to myself. You've got to serve somebody. Serve me. Serve me. And he says these extraordinary words here. My yoke, think of it, that heavy piece of wood that you slap on your neck and you're bound round. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. How can he say this? How can a yoke be easy? Well, he says it in verse 29. He explains it. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. We're going to dwell a few minutes on on this verse because this is actually, we're entering some really deep waters of theology right here. Why? This is the one place in the entire Bible the one place, the whole of the Bible, where Jesus Christ himself tells us what's in his heart. What's in his heart. Now, it's so striking, and I'd highly recommend this book to you, by Dane Ortlund, gentle and Lonely," Gen- Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And actually, he says it so beautifully in the first chapter that what I'm going to say is basically taken uh, word for word from him. And let me just read out. First, let's just think about the word heart, what does the heart mean? It doesn't just mean, oh, I've got some gooey feelings. I feel a bit gentle and lowly. No, in the Bible, the heart, and this is from Dane, the heart is a matter of life. It is what makes us the human being, each of us is. The heart drives all we do. It is who we are. So you might say, oh, that person's heart is his ego. That person's heart is his wife. That person's heart is his children. It is who we are. Dane continues to this surprise. So, when Jesus tells us what animates him most deeply, what is most true of him, when he exposes the innermost recesses of his being, the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down, deep into the heart, the core of who he is, we're not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We're not even told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not told that he is joyful and generous in heart. No, what we see here, letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And he goes on to say, who could ever have thought up such a saviour in such a proud world with proud leaders, with mighty men? Who could have imagined such a saviour, such a God? I think about those two words with the help of Dane Ortland as well. What does gentle actually mean? Ortland says it means meek, humble. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. That's gentle. What does lowly mean? Well, it's another word that's used in the Bible. It's often translated humble, but not as a character virtue, but just humble in terms of being of low status, like a servant. It's the opposite of lofty, high, proud, unattainable. Here's Day and again. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness. No one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It is all he needs, and needed is the only thing he works with. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is gift, not transaction. And Ortlund summarises it wonderfully like this. If Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line when you click on about me would be gentle and lowly in heart. This isn't how we naturally think of Jesus Christ, the creator, the Lord of the universe. Why? Well, it's because we're used to bad yokes. We're used to bad masters but thank God for his word because it tells us this is who Jesus, the Son of God, is, truly is. And as we see, gentle and lonely, compare him with those earlier yokes. Harsh, demanding, always asking for more. Jesus, gentle, lowly, forgiving. Tim Keller summarises it wonderfully. I've changed some of the words to reflect the yoke language. But he says... Every other yoke that you can have in life. Every other yoke. If you attain it, it won't fulfil you. Won't fulfil you. And if you fail it, it won't forgive you. Think of your career. The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of the wrong yokes is to turn back to the true one, the living God. He's the only one who, if you find him, can truly fulfil you. And if you fail him, can truly forgive you. Why? Because Jesus is the only master in this universe who is gentle and lowly in heart. I've got a couple of illustrations of this. If you're a fan of Harry Potter, you might remember um, Dobby, the house elf. And Dobby is a slave, a servant, who is used to the very harsh master of the Malfoys. Very harsh master. And it scarred him. It scarred him. He says um, to Harry Potter, Dobby will have to punish himself most grievously for coming to see you, sir. Because he used to that demanding yoke when he experiences harry potter's kindness harry potter's um, regard for him his dignity that he's given by harry potter's treatment of him this is what happens it's overwhelming dobby has never been asked to sit down like an equal he says and then breaks down into tears there's something that breaks us when we go from these harsh yokes to experiencing the love the kindness the embrace of jesus christ and that breaking is what gives us the rest that we truly long for another illustration is i have had the privilege of having had a um a, just a wondrous a wonderful boss in uh, in my job uh, the head of maths um danny quinn at michaela she was a fantastic teacher just absolutely inspiring you just sat and you watched the lessons and you thought man i have so much respect for this person she is just the top of her game Worldwide, one of the best teachers, no exaggeration. But she wasn't proud. She wasn't lofty. She didn't look down on you and scorn you. She, she was gentle. She was kind. She was a friend, despite being a boss. And just one picture that illustrates that. When I had my appendix removed um, a year ago, and I was recovering from surgery, my boss, Danny, actually texted me and said, hey, I hope you're all right. You know, she didn't send me flowers. She didn't send me like, a nice card. She said, well, she actually did both those things, actually. But she came in person. And she said, I want to come over and cook for you and Steph. And she came and she brought all the ingredients and she went into our kitchen and she got busy making us a three-course meal as I was getting better. A gentle and lowly master. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And those two images are tiny glimpses of what Jesus Christ is like for us. Tiny glimpses. He is the friend that we have always longed for. The Lord, the boss, the line manager, that is a joy to submit to. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. And despite that, he is filled with compassion and understanding and love for us. He's the one we can relax and rest in. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So... As we come to him, like Dobby, we find true rest. We find harmony. We find everything in this right place. We find security for our souls. Not necessarily our bodies. He promises rest for our souls. As Pete preached last week, not everything will be put right in this creation. we we'll hope for when Jesus returns and restores everything. But he finds rest. He gives us rest deep down in the innermost recesses of our heart for our souls. Everything in harmony. What does it mean then? What does it mean? Let's apply this for for a few minutes. What does it mean to take his yoke upon us? How do we do this? Well, if you're watching or if you're not a Christian, then it means realising first how everything else that you've ever been yoked to in life has led you astray. It has been harsh. It has been unforgiving. It has disappointed you. It has made you labour. And it's given you heavy burdens. Everything else you could possibly be yoked in will also lead you astray. And when you see that, confess your yokes to this unique, gentle, lowly Lord. You can come to him with your burdens. You can come to him with your sin. You can come to him with the mess of life. And he will give you his gentle and easy yoke. Now, for Christians, we have done that when we came to Christ. But we still face our own yokes that we are tempted to put back on. For some of us, it is the more obvious ones. It is Addictions materialism, anxiety, it is um, these various battles that we too face. We bring those to the Lord and ask him uh, to liberate us and give us his gentle and easy yoke. But I think for Christians the battle is often subtler and it's less obvious. Personally as I've prepared this sermon I've been challenged um, by yokes I just slip into moment by moment without really realising it. Not, so, not in a big and dramatic way. I've realized that I'm often yoked to stimulation. And sometimes our yokes can be Christianized. We can think they're fine. And so when I'm feeling bored, when I was finding a point hard to write, you know, I'd check to see some Christian blogs. Oh, what do they make of the uh, situation in America? What do they make of this theological dispute? Oh, I wonder what this person says about this. Oh, I wonder what this person's view about this is. Oh, that's really interesting, let me look at that. But here's the test. After I finish doing that, I go away and I feel more burdened. I feel heavier in my soul. I feel like I've just toiled and I've not really gotten anything out of it. And that's a really good sign that actually, even though it feels Christianized, this is a yoke for me. And I need to get rid of it. I need to take it off. It's a useful test for you. When do you make little decisions in your day-to-day life? When do you have little thoughts that lead to decisions, that lead to actions, that make you restless, that add to your burdens? They give you a sense of weight. For me, it's, I'm on my laptop, I'm clicking links, or on my phone. I'm not submitting to Jesus' easy yoke. Often, there's other things too, anxieties. If I notice health symptoms and I want to look them up and see, oh, you know, is this wrong with me, or do I have this? The burdens grow. I get more and more restless. So the first thing to do is just start to notice start to notice where your soul feels heavy where you feel like you've laboured and when you notice those times stop yourself if you can and just say Lord I feel drawn to something that is dragging me down but you Lord you promise rest I come to you now I come to you what's going on give me that rest that you promise invite Jesus in to these moment by moment struggles No matter how often. No matter if you keep going back to him. Why? Because he's gentle. He's lowly in heart. He can deal with the wayward, with the ignorant. He's waiting for us to let him into those struggles. I think it's really well summarised by, um, you might remember sometimes for consecration uh, last year, we said this prayer, quite an intense prayer, um, a prayer of commitment, a prayer representing taking on Jesus' yoke. I'll read the words out just to jog your memory and um, I think we'll pray at the end uh, which we're getting close to now. So the prayer goes I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will rack me with whom you will. Put me to doing put me to suffering let me be employed for you let me be laid aside for you exalted for you or brought low for you let me be full let me be empty let me have all things Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. Amen. Now, if you're anything like me, this prayer is big, intense. It's quite scary, actually, to to say those words and to see control over to the Lord. Because we're so used to living life, choosing our own yokes. It's what we know and we can think can we really trust ourselves in Jesus' hands can we really live according to his yoke his guidance can we really give up on the yokes that we're so used to and as we close I just want to proclaim to us all that yes we can yes we can trust Jesus with his yoke why why let's just think about a yoke again a yoke is made not just for one cow A yoke is made for two cows. It's made so that the two cows share their burden. And when Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you, who's the other cow? It's Jesus. He's the one saying, I will share your burdens. And he doesn't just say that as a metaphor. He doesn't just say that as a symbol. Jesus really did bear a heavy piece of wood on his back. He really was bound to it he really was yoked to it by nails in his hands and his feet. He submitted to a harsh and demanding yoke, the yoke of the cross. And he took this yoke on himself for us and for our salvation. And actually, he took that yoke alone, by himself. It was his yoke, but the burdens that he was carrying with him were not his, they were ours. They were our sins. They were our shame, our guilt, our struggles. Jesus is the one who can truly offer us this deep rest. Why? Because on that cross, he was the one who suffered the depths and the agony of restlessness as he cried out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That restlessness that we deserve because we're chasing after the wrong masters. He experienced that pain of being out of harmony with his Father, with all of creation. But because he has gone through that restlessness, we don't have to. We can rest in him. We can trust him. He's already taken our sin away from us. He's already taken that burden from us. And with our moment and my moment burdens, we can trust him with those as well. Because he has taken all of them away. And in his glorious resurrection, he has swallowed them all up in victory. Praise him. And so when Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's not just words. He's not just saying that. It's not like the yokes we're used to, which promise so much fulfillment, so much satisfaction, so much happiness, so much. And then they just let us down and they just beat us up. Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And on that cross, he shows us just how gentle he is. He is so welcoming to sinners that he died for them. His arms are so wide open that they were nailed to a cross. He shows us just how lowly and humble he is. And that the Son of God himself was willing to do this, was glad to do this, because he loved us so much because his compassion for us was so great so as we see our good our gentle our lowly Lord let us give ourselves totally over to Jesus because we know that he has first given himself totally over to us let me pray Lord we thank you that you have given yourself to us you are our gentle and lowly saviour and we thank you and praise you so much so much for being this surprising, glorious Lord a Lord that is so different to many of the lords that we are used to and Lord because you are like this for us you encourage us and you inspire us to pray these words we are no longer our, our own but yours put us Lord to what you will Rank us with whom you will, put us to doing, put us to suffering, let us be employed for you, let us be laid aside for you, let us be exalted for you, let us be brought low for you, let us be full, let us be empty, let us have all things, let us have nothing, we freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we are yours and you are ours. Amen.